0: the horrors hey i'm elise i'm shay ah happy saint patrick's day it is saint patrick's day and from
1: two irish motherfuckers we enjoy this day we very much do
0: <laughs> i err on the not catholic side of the irish mm. and i feel that is what saint patrick stays you know origins are in but i'm just here for the drinks i'm here for the modern context
1: i'm here really. for the short people <laughs> as a short people <laughs> I love St. Patrick's Day. I love the energy. I love green. I think it's a good time. So, it's cool to be here. I look fucking good in green, too. Yeah, cuz you have like some green in your eyes going on. You have like a good look. Thank you.
0: Um,
1: I have none of that. Uh- <laughs> <laughs>
0: But you do have an MC last name. I do. My last name is not expressively Irish, but yours indeed is. It sounds pretty Irish. Well, it does, but yours is expressively Mm -hmm. like there.
1: Yeah. So you have that
0: claim over me.
1: I also have freckles in the sun. I have freckles all the time. Oh, my name is Shane. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we love to celebrate this day. It's pretty rad.
0: So to celebrate it, one might think that we cover a very popularly themed St. Patrick's Day horror movie, which would be Leprechaun.
1: But we decided absolutely not. Absolutely not indeed. And we found another movie that we found pretty interesting based on the trailer and... Now coming here to talk about it today, I'm pretty excited to see where this discussion goes. Yeah, this is actually a
0: Irish horror movie Mm -hmm. called The Hallow that was released in 2015. Not to be confused with the American release The Hollow in 2016, which is more of like a mystery thriller type, but Mm -hmm. The Hallow with an A.
1: Exactly. And before we get into that, we have something kind of special to talk about.
0: Yeah, we're breaking from the Irish and moving more toward... A beautiful Latin American tradition yeah. of, of hot sauce. So, walk us back as to
1: how this <laughs> taste test came to okay. be. So... Yeah, we're going to take it back to the very beginning. As many of you know, who have been listening since episode one, horror was never really my cup of tea. And I've been kind of going outside of my comfort zone each week that we've been watching these movies, whereas Shay has been thriving. I have been surviving and doing my damn best. I think I've grown a lot. But I mentioned in episode one that something else that I always kind of wanted to branch out and explore was hot sauce because I really do not have a good hot sauce threshold. And coincidentally, last semester, in my grad class, I met somebody who is now a friend of mine named Jason. And we were in the same group when I was working on the faculty episode. So if you haven't listened to the faculty episode, definitely listen to that. It's episode seven. And while I was working on that with the podcast, he was working on his own hot sauce company, getting that off the ground, working on labels and whatnot. And so as people do who are supporting one another as they go on these new endeavors, we've stayed in touch on Instagram and he reached out to us and offered some of his hot sauces. So Shay and I got to try these hot sauces today. This was great. Like It this was, was just so great. Such a fun little
0: surprise.
1: So first of all, I do just want to say that So the hot sauce is called Jason D's, like D apostrophe S. And if you love what you hear, you can absolutely find this hot sauce brand on Instagram. Jason D's hot sauce on Instagram. So again, that's J-A-S-O-N-D-S hot sauce. And yeah, the packing is beautiful. Jason sent us two different kinds. The one was specifically because I'm a wuss. (laughs) (laughs) And I do not have a high heat threshold, as I said, and this is a, a green sauce and it's called Esmeralda. And I am obsessed with it. Something I appreciate about it is, you know, I've heard many a time that, oh, you should try this hot sauce, Elise. It's like you can handle it. Yeah, it's not it's even not that, that spicy, hot. And it literally hurts me. And it hurts me. <laughs> this one was exactly how it was described to me. There's a little bit of heat. It has an earthy flavor. It's a gorgeous color. It smells delicious. And he also sent it with these seasoning blends. So there's an Esmeralda seasoning blend that I don't really know what to use it for yet. Probably on chicken or like other meats or vegetables if you wanted to, to like saute vegetables. I just haven't gotten the chance yet because I've been lazy since I've gotten this delivery. And Shay, you found a love in the second hot sauce. I did.
0: So, you said this was one of his original blends or one of his original batches that he made for Mm -hmm. us. So, this one's called the Cornelina Jalapeno Sauce, and this is more of a red sauce. I'm more of a red sauce kind of gal, and this is definitely a step up on the kick scale. Yes. I was like, oh, this is great. And then Elise tried it and was like fire breathing out. <laughs> but, but as somebody who enjoys putting hot sauce on eggs, sandwiches, tacos, like pretty much anything, this offered just the right amount of heat where you could still like really taste all of the flavors, all of the peppers, just a lot of the like earthy aroma that comes with it. And I love this. Like this is great. And I'm just so happy to have it and that we have it. And I feel so honored that Jason reserved this bottle for us of one of his last season
1: batches because it's so delicious. Exactly. And he's been listening to the podcast since I mentioned it back in, I guess, November. So it's really cool to have the opportunity to support him where he's been supporting Shay and I from almost the beginning. And it's even easier to do when the sauce he sent is delicious. So yummy. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's what we have today. Again, if you're interested in looking into that. I'm not sure the next time he's going to have a batch that goes on sale since it is such a small business. It's is released in sort of like, I guess, not but drops. Yeah. I think the first time he sold over 330 bottles and 100 season in packets. So I think that's only going to continue going from there. So follow him on Instagram again at Jason D's hot sauce to keep in touch with what's going on. We'll also have a post on Instagram about it that you can look at as well.
0: Absolutely. Spice up your St. Patrick's Day.
1: Yes, especially with that Esmeralda green sauce. Yeah. Keep it festive.
0: <laughs> cool. So, you ready to
1: jump into the hello? I am, I dare say.
0: All right. So, the movie opens up. We see a lot of establishing shots of a really green, mossy wood. It's a really like deep, foresty feel. It almost gave me the village vibes, just kind of how they establish just the grandness of the forest and just how deep it is. Mm-hmm. We get those establishing shots and it zooms in on the bark of the tree and you see a little drippage coming from it. It looks a little off putting to the rest of the trees around it. So that's obviously a hint of the sinister that is to come. Mm. So then we go to a boat where we meet a family that is crossing a channel of water into Ireland. You come to find out that they are coming from London, and it is a family of three. You have the father, Adam, the mother, Claire, and a little baby child, Finn. (laughs) A little baby child. (laughs) (laughs) Who looks to be like, what? One? Six?
1: I don't know. Like, I I can't judge. No, he's got to be at least one. He can't walk. That's all I know. Okay, so maybe nine months.
0: I don't know. I'm
1: not good at guessing the ages of children. So like
0: 128 weeks then? (laughs) I like, I don't know. I'm not a mother. (laughs) But either way, it's a little blonde hair, blue eyed babe who cannot walk and is seen a lot through the movie, either being carried or being worn in like a little backpack Mm -hmm. situation. Swaddle. Yes, lots of swaddling. Lots of
1: cooing. Oh, this baby coos. Coos like you would never believe this baby coos. This
0: baby's going to be a singer. This, (laughs) I would say Finn rivaled his mother, Claire, for the amount of lines that are in this movie just by how much noise this baby makes throughout the movie. I think that's a fair
1: assessment. That is definitely a fair assessment.
0: Either way, so they are driving through the Irish countryside. They are presumably moving to Ireland just based on the amount of luggage that they have. And we hear a radio station that's talking about how some of the locals are upset about the forest situation and the idea that there aren't publicly owned forests in Ireland. And that made me at least go, huh, because though we are Irish, we don't know a lot about Sustainable environmental justice practices in Ireland right now, right? So Mm -hmm. I thought it might be good to offer a little bit of context as to what the forestation situation (laughs) is in Ireland currently. Oh my God, she's putting on her glasses right now. I am putting on my glasses mostly because I can't see the computer screen without them, but also just to get into my scholar historian mode to just unfold everything that I've learned. And I swear this is going to get interesting at some point, (laughs) but going into a little bit of the history of forestation in Ireland. So Ireland itself was left with very few native tree species following the Ice Age. So climate change, as we know, not a fun ride, not a cool thing. So after the Ice Age, Ireland wasn't left with a lot of forestation. And it worked its way back up eventually, but it experienced a near total destruction of its forests, mainly because of human activity in the deterioration of the climate, where Ireland was at one point 80% covered in trees and forests, and now it's less than 1%. Wow. It's insane. Like, it went from 80 to 1% at some point in history. So Ireland's the only country in Europe where such a complete forest destruction took place. And that had a lot to do with timber being one of the only renewable resources in Ireland. So people really used Ireland's timber and wood as economic revenue, as a way of trade, as a way to build capital. Ireland still has the lowest forest cover of all European countries, approximately 11% compared to European coverage of over 30%. Hmm. So a way that the Irish government decided to really go about this is in 1981, they introduced the Western Package Scheme, which was co-funded by the EU and the Irish government. And it was introduced to provide grant aid to farmers for planting agricultural land. So essentially what they did was they incentivized private owners to privatize portions of forests. So that would be obviously like their income, the the way they built revenue. But the way they did that, they provided grants so that as they were using timber, they were also replanting trees as a way to bring forests back to Ireland, essentially. So if we're looking at what's occurring now, according to Wikipedia, 45% of Ireland's forests are privately owned by these like private farmers and families, and 55% are owned by the quita, which is a commercial forestry business owned by the state. So I wanted to provide this context because once we learn a little bit more about Adam and his family, Adam is a agricultural developer or researcher. He has his doctorate in agriculture or biology or something where he knows a lot about the environment and he has been tasked by some unnamed company or initiative to go out and survey a portion of a active forest in Ireland for deforestation purposes, to bring timber to presumably London, because that's where he's from, or otherwise just out of that community using that portion of the forest or using that timber for other purposes. And because of that, they aren't seen as kindly to the locals, who you can assume through this now historical context, might be some of these private owned farmers that perhaps got bought out by the Mm. Quita or got bought out by some of these larger developers and perhaps lost their family business through that. So I wanted to provide that context because I feel like a lot of the time when Elise and I were watching it, we were kind of like, what's the big deal? Like he's literally just like a scientist going in and like doing his job. But when you look at the historical context and how much like forestation means to Ireland specifically, it gets a little more interesting and complicated.
1: Agreed. And we see Adam in this role immediately in the movie we see him in an early shot of the movie walking through the woods taking samples from trees with his son strapped to his back which is something shane i noticed he really does have care of his son a lot during this movie kind of on his daily walks in the forest or if he's taking errands into town which is kind of a cool dad thing even though it's like something moms just do like so cool when a dad does it (laughs) because
0: we're just so used to the mom being home with the baby and just praise dads for doing things
1: that they should do exactly (laughs)
0: whereas the mom's at home taking like iron spears or iron bars yeah. off their windows so mm-hmm. like you really kind of see like that's such a good point yeah like the dad's like meandering in the forest <laughs> and looking at all the flowers and whatever and the mom's like at home with like lumber and has these work gloves on and is taking these just like iron clad bars off of her baby's and windows. that
1: obviously comes into play later and they have a dog too um do you remember the dog's name iggy iggy azalea no it definitely is definitely after iggy stardust like you said because they like a lot of music yeah so on this, and not iggy azalea's music <laughs> oh, sorry sorry so anyway so dad is spray painting trees it looks like maybe for removal or some sort of whatever's and he's kind of talking to his son and the dog as he goes along he's saying like yeah it's sad which kind of again gives us context maybe these trees will be cut down And at one point, the dog kind of goes off screen, so dad and baby Finn go to find where the dog goes off to, and along the way, as they're crossing a sort of fallen log or older bridge situation over a stream, the baby drops its binky into the water, and we see it sort of float away. They stumble upon an old shed situation. It must not be too far away from their house, but the dad sees a dead horse on the inside and notices A sort of black goo, sort of around the horse's wounds. He's interested. He takes a sample and he takes it back. And of course, like we said, spliced with this scene, we see the mom at home taking down these iron bars from the house, which obviously sets a very ominous tone. The house is already old. It's already isolated. And now we see that there were, for some reason, iron bars on the windows of this home. So
0: while the mom is home doing all of this ironclad shit, enter Mr. Donnelly, who we assume is a neighbor type or somebody who at least has met the family before. So Mr. Donnelly and his son pull into the driveway. And Claire doesn't look very happy that he's there. She looks a little anxious, maybe a little worried, and she gets down from her ladder and it was like, "I'm sorry, Mr. Donnelly, Adam's not here." Mr. Donnelly goes off about how he's not happy that he's going into the woods and that Adam shouldn't be going into the woods, that the forest don't belong to him. It's not safe. It's not safe for him and his baby. So obviously very ominous. Mr. Donnelly is, I would say, characterized to look a little unhinged, for lack of a better word. Like, he isn't painted as a trustworthy He looks character. like he's seen some shit. Yeah, like he looks just like overly superstitious and, you know, believes in like folklore a little bit too much. Not Taylor Swift. The- <laughs> The old, the old kind time. of folklore
1: I believe. In, yes, I, I, I believe in folklore.
0: But otherwise, Claire is apologetic, but she asserts like Adam's just doing his job. We're really just here because he's been asked to and this is his job. So again, you see that there's like a level of contention between the objective that Adam was sent out to do and what the locals actually think about it.
1: Exactly. And right as Mr. Donnelly is leaving, we actually do see Adam return with Finn and the dog. And Claire implores him, just go talk to him. This is the third time he's been here since we moved in. Just go talk to him. But Adam decides against it. He doesn't want to talk to him. He's not interested in hearing what he has to say. So he goes downstairs and he starts inspecting the specimen that he gathered from the dead horse in the woods.
0: Yes, and through some weird, jumpy, microscope shots, he's able to identify a a one-in-a-million infectious black fungi Uh that he found in this horse's neck. What's scary about this substance is he realizes that it's very dangerous and not safe. However, that scene is spliced with Claire putting Finn to bed and some of that black goo drips from the ceiling and into Finn's crib. Claire is obviously very concerned and calls Adam to check out the attic to see what's up. He goes and investigates. He doesn't find anything. But when he goes back down, you see that indeed there is some of that black goo residing in some of the cracks in the walls. Yeah,
1: we have some excellent dramatic irony there. You know, I think a lot of horror relies on dramatic irony. Wouldn't you say the audience knows there's much more to be afraid of than the characters necessarily realize at that point?
0: I also think this is a case of Claire being dismissed and Claire's dismissed a lot through this movie too because Adam in a previous scene is in the kitchen with his wife and talking about how this fungi can penetrate the brain of an ant like it is so powerful that it can do all of these things. But Claire is like showing this black drippage on Finn's nighty, and he's just like, you know, it's, it's an old house. So it's like, what kind of gaslighty shit is that? That's
1: true. He is very stubborn. And I mean, he's a scientist. I guess we're kind of seeing him characterized as somebody who knows what he knows and is, feels great about what he knows. But yeah, it leaves him a lot less receptive to other opinions, whether it's from Mr. Donnelly or his wife. And on that note, Adam is played by Joseph Maui, who is best known for his character as Benjen Stark in Game of Thrones. He's also in other things. He's in like Abraham Lincoln, Zombie Hunter. And he's in a couple of other like action-y suspense films. So this seems to be a genre that he has been in before. And his wife Claire is played by Boana Novakovic. And she's also in a wide variety of other things some television shows, some movies. She doesn't really have a one genre I saw her being prevalent in, but she's, you know, somebody who's been around. And those are our main characters. I'm not sure who Finn is played by. Some baby. He's a baby. He's a babe. But I also put Mother Nature on our character list. <laughs>
0: She does absolutely come into
1: play later on. Yeah, and you know that this podcast, we usually like to focus on movies that center women. And although this movie definitely has Adam, I would say, as the main character for sure, we are going to talk a little bit about the character development of Claire. And we're also going to talk about the prevalence of Mother Nature throughout this whole piece.
0: She is quite a prevalent lady.
1: The lady of ladies. The lady of ladies. The knight of knights. The knight of knights. All right. It's from uh, High School Musical? Prom? Okay. Uh, yeah. Let us know if you want to cover High School Musical. Um, next week, you want to High School Musical uh, through a horror lens? Yeah. Could you imagine? That might actually be kind of funny.
0: I think on YouTube, there's actually. There is.
1: The trailer with suspenseful music in the background instead of like High School Musical trailer. Yeah, they, background. they
0: make like Troy Bolton look like he's like a, yeah, <sighs> serial stucker or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I love that. Okay. If you haven't seen it, look it up. And we're back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. So. Claire and Adam are in the kitchen. They're kissing over some pasta while Finn's in bed. But then through the baby monitor, they hear Finn crying. And Adam's just being like, ah, oh, babies will cry. But then you hear a window shatter. Oof, so creepy. From Finn's room. So they go running upstairs. She turns to go into Finn's room. The door slams in her face. Ugh. She can't get it open. So it seems like your typical like supernatural, the Conjuring-esque stunt. They finally get in the room And they see that someone has broken the window and knocked over the lamp. But otherwise, Finn is unharmed, just very rattled, obviously, and very scared.
1: So naturally, the next move Adam and Claire take is to call the police. So we see the police pretty shortly arrive after that. And the police officer inspects the scene. It comes up that they're new to the neighborhood. And the police officer implies, I already know who you are. I know what you're doing here. And he mentions how the town isn't huge fans of what the family is doing here. And he says, they believe that the forest you're trampling on belongs to the hollow.
0: Right. So Adam's like the hallow and the police officer goes on to say fairies, banshees, baby stealers. I think the wife goes on to say, so actually, Mr. Donnelly's been kind of hanging around here and he's like, oh, yeah, I know all about Column. Column is his first name.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Column's daughter, Kara, went into the forest and never came back. So, obviously, we learn that information and hear a little bit about why Column seems ominous, and that Column believes that Adam going into the forest will anger the forest and have the forest seek retribution for treading on it, as the police officer put
1: it. And the folklore that we are seeing established here is not new. This folklore is actually very common to Irish lore, German folklore, Scottish folklore, etc. And so I am going to establish some context about what we're dealing with here because some of these terms have already come up and some of these terms are going to come up later on. So Wikipedia defines a changeling. Now, this isn't something we've heard yet, but we will. Also historically referred to as an oaf. as a human-like creature found in folklore and folk religion throughout europe a changeling was believed to be a fairy that had been left in place of a human stolen by the fairies so from the article exploring irish mythology by harry barrett from the irish post he says when the word Fairy is mentioned. Many think of gentle beings with nothing but pleasantries for their human counterparts. So changelings were fairies who had been left in place of a human child or baby that had been stolen by the fairies. The child was taken for one of three reasons to act as a servant for the fairies, for the fairies to receive the love of a human child, which is apparently something they sought after, or for malice slash revenge reasons. Most of the time, the exchange was made with a fairy changeling, but occasionally an elderly fairy would be swapped, either so that it could live out its life in the comfort of the cares of a human, or so that it could die. (laughs) Usually, it was the fairest, most beautiful children who were taken because the fairies craved and admired these traits. Often, a baby might become ill or take on a strange appearance, or a person might be left unable to move their limbs. Fairy struck, quote, as they called it, and the local people would begin to suspect fairy work. So these legends are hundreds of years old. And specifically, the reason we kind of have this negative image of these fairies portrayed is because of the idea that they steal children and sometimes not children. They have also been known to steal adults as well. So belief in these fairies was widely accepted until the murder of Bridget Cleary in 1895. So we're getting a little bit my favorite murder up in here. So she was an Irish woman who was killed by her husband because he believed her to be a changeling. So there was a real trial. And I think after this, a lot of people were like, "Uh, let's just let's cut it out. Okay, guys, it's not fun anymore. So some believe that the origin of the changeling myth stems from a very dark corner of the mind. Changeling tales illustrate an aspect of family survival in pre-industrial Europe. A peasant's family's substance frequently depended upon the productive labor of each member, and it was difficult to provide for a person who was a permanent drain on the family's scarce resources, which is what babies would have to be for a while. If a family felt unable to care for a child, particularly one they felt would be no use to them in the future due to an undiagnosed condition or a deformity, it was easier for them to lose the child believing they had been taken by a gang of fairies than it was to believe that they were going to let their child die. Infanticide was a horrible, yet very real aspect of rural living in the medieval world, and the fact that changeling tales so often mention their ravenous appetites suggests the parents of these unfortunate children saw them as a threat to their family's continued existence, and that allowing them to die might be the only way to save everyone else. The changeling stories just helped them down the horribly inevitable path. Fuck! I know, isn't that crazy? And of course, all of that is from Exploring Irish Mythology by Harry Brent but i thought that was really interesting that origin and the idea that like the changeling myths seemed really steeped in what's going on with the parents Yeah. Obviously, we're not in medieval times in this story, but I think that this changeling myth, like the connotation is that parents might be absent or uncaring kind of comes into play here a little bit because we do kind of, I think, have like parent against parent at a couple points. And Mm -hmm. I think it's like tense regarding how they are trying to navigate parenting this child. I know I'm being super vague and crazy, but anyway, that's some information for you regarding these myths.
0: And it's so funny, too, because I remember when I was little, like my grandmother If I lost something, they'll be like, oh, the fairies took it. That's just such a thing still even in Irish households where it's like you lose your phone and then you like turn back around and your phone was like exactly where you just looked and, you know, you didn't see it. It was always like, oh, the fairies are just messing with you. So just the idea that there's these devious little Forest dwellers that are going to come out and take your things and run back into the forest absolutely is integral to understanding and appreciating what's going on in this film generally.
1: So we're back to the night that the window was broken in Finn's nursery and Adam goes outside to take pictures of the damage and... In my notes, I wrote, there's a weird fucking thing out there caught on camera. (laughs) So what happens is Adam is taking pictures. Iggy's out there with him, starts acting up. Adam turns around. He uses the flash to take a picture. And we see he doesn't see something sort of hunchbacked and skinny golem like in the woods. Mm -hmm. Um, So we know that something is out there and he doesn't see it. He kind of turns around. Rain is coming. He shuts the door and walks away. This is the next day now. The wife is cleaning up the baby's nursery, finally, and she finds something weird, like a dead bird carcass tape thing covered in that black sludge in the baby's bed. She just throws it out, which I think is weird. Yeah, she just kind of like scoops
0: it into a trash bag with no sense of alarm. But you come to understand that that was the thing that perhaps flew through the window. Mm. And that was something that the police officers kind of used to gaslight the family, where the family was convinced it was Column that was coming around and messing with them. And he was just like, oh, it's probably just like a bird who got confused flying at night. So the mom sees the bird and we're both like, what the fuck? But with that context of, oh, maybe it really just was a bird that was sick and just flew through the window by accident okay, like maybe there isn't as much to fear as we're thinking. Maybe we are being paranoid. Maybe we really don't belong here and we're just causing a ruckus. So you see those like seeds of doubt start to plant themselves in Claire's head.
1: So Adam has taken baby Finn. They drive into town to take his nursery window to be fixed. And we see... Slow motion shots of long, hard stares at the car as it drives by. And we get the sense this is a very small Irish town. So everybody knows, you know, just based on the car alone, that this is the new family. Finally, Adam gets to the hardware store. He mentions the bird, the broken window. And the guy behind the counter says, if your wife doesn't put the irons back up, then there's really no point. If you trespass upon them, they'll trespass upon you. Damn! Um, Yeah. Nothing about a welcome to the neighborhood, like... Mm-hmm. And immediately we're thinking back to those irons. We saw Claire taking off the windows in the beginning. So we kind of know what their purpose was now, I guess, to keep out beings or dead bird carcasses being chucked through the windows.
0: Yeah, it's almost like a superstitious... Act of protection where even in like, you know, Irish Catholic families, like putting a cross over the entrance of the door to like ward out any bad juju or whatever you want to call it, that this form of like iron is apparently like a protection from whatever is dwelling in the woods. And since they took that protection down and Adam is going into the woods every day, they're being attacked in that regard. While this is happening in the hardware store, Claire is back home. She's still cleaning up from the night before, and Column appears behind her in the house.
1: Yeah, really rude, Column.
0: Yeah, He just like shows up in the house. He obviously is like trespassing, looks very threatening. And he goes into some dialogue about you don't listen. You just don't want to listen to me. You think I'm crazy. And he drops this book on the kitchen counter and then walks out of the house. So Claire's obviously very terrified. She's, you know, a woman at home alone. And even though it's the middle of the day, this dude found his way into the house and is like threatening her. So she's obviously shaken up. At this point, the father is driving back home with the baby and they run into Column on the road. And this is I found interesting too, where Adam wanted to confront Column the night that everything happened. And Claire was like, just go talk to him tomorrow. Just go talk to him tomorrow. Because at this point, Adam believes Column to be responsible for the broken window. And Column is standing there, like kind of like almost blocking the road, like kind of daring him to talk to him. And Adam drives around him. Adam's just like, I don't want this smoke and just kind of (laughs) keeps going. Okay, like you keep leaving your wife to deal with this very unwelcoming, angry presence and that opportunity that you do get to kind
1: of straighten things out. You don't take that opportunity. Yeah, that is really weird. You're right. Colm is almost like expecting his return, right? He knows he's in town anyway. Adam has to go around him. He kind of like makes the choice. He's forced to make that choice in that moment. I'm not getting out of the car, which ends up not being great.
0: Yeah, and I'm wondering if that decision kind of leads to what ends up happening. While he's driving, you know, they're listening to a cassette tape. And once they enter the forest, they have to go through the forest to get back to their home, which I believe is like situated like kind of in the middle of it. They're kind of surrounded by the forest. Some supernatural shit starts happening with the music. It starts distorting. And the car ends up flickering on and off. But he ends up stopping the car. He gets out and looks under the hood to figure out what's wrong. And you see these viney tendrils, these black viney tendrils of this fungi are entrenched in the metalwork of the engine. Do you know
1: what that reminds me of? What? The cords from... Oh, wait,
0: further instructions. Yes.
1: They have a very similar look.
0: Yeah, it's just these interwoven... That's the thing. It operates both as as a solid and a liquid, which I think makes
1: it so gross. It's
0: it's slimy and wet, but at the same time, it has a form. So it's wrapped around like Mm -hmm. and coiled around the engine. And while he's trying to figure that situation out, the hood of the car slams down on the back of his head and knocks Adam out.
1: Yes. And he then wakes up in the trunk. I think at one point he goes around to the trunk to get something out. Oh, was he at the trunk when that happened? I think so. And then the back is slammed on him and that's how he ends up in the trunk. Yeah, okay, that that actually makes more sense. And when he wakes up, we have no idea how long he's been in there, but he hears Finn cooing on the other side of the back seat. And at first, you know, that's relieving because we know the baby is still there. But then we start hearing Finn cry. We hear the window break in the back seat of the car. So, Adam has to knife his way through the back seat and he kind of emerges. <laughs> like through the car seat on the other side, he ends up getting to the baby, which is good. And I think at that point he gets freaked out. He just picks Finn up and like runs the fuck away to go home. And he tells Claire to call the police and then arms himself with a gun right before the power goes out.
0: Yeah, so they're back at home and it's clear that Adam believes that Calm is like shutting their power off and is Yeah, he yells,
1: Calm, whatever happened to your daughter has nothing to do with us. And
0: it's interesting because he's looking around and this kind of kicks off the portion of the movie that I didn't like so much about it because we're about a half hour into the movie at this point. There's no climax, really. It just goes from building a world for 30 minutes of understanding that there's this fungus. They're in the middle of the woods. We're understanding there's a supernatural element to this fungus because it controlled the car.
1: Yes, Caused like him. an electrical failure.
0: And knocked Adam out and whatnot. And like, we understand that Adam thinks that Calm was responsible for him getting knocked out and thrown in the trunk, but it wasn't because we also saw like while Adam was fighting to get into the back seat, locks were opening and shutting mm. by themselves and the car was like kind of shaking. And then when he got out of the car, there was a huge slash on the side of the car that yes. looked like, like a tiger ran alongside of it. But Adam seems to be fixated that Calm is the one that doing all of these things. I
1: think that's pretty typical. It's typical, but at the same time, whereas I respect it's hard to believe that fairies are to do with this, I don't think it's easier to believe that one man is just slinking around and doing all of these mischievous things either. So I think it's interesting that Adam's clinging so hard to this narrative that Colm is to blame when I don't really think we're given that much reason to think that Colm would have anything to do with that.
0: Right. Adam grabs the gun and he goes into the kitchen while Claire stays upstairs with the baby. And he's looking around and he is saying things like, he came into our house. He came into our home and he's talking about Column. He's talking about how he's so mad that this guy is like cutting their power. And I wrote down, Adam is throwing a tantrum because he's scared and can't adequately protect them. Like Claire is calming him down. Claire's like, we have to go. Like, let's just go. Let's take the car. Let's just get out of here. And Adam's like, I refuse to be intimidated by that man. So you get this, like, toxic masculinity. Obviously, he is blaming Colm for all this. But again, like we said earlier, he had the opportunity to Mm -hmm.
1: have that confrontation and he chose not to do it. That's such a good point. He really does have an interesting personal conflict with himself where there's definitely some self-loathing going on. And he does admit it later. Like, I should have just talked to him or I should have listened to him. So he eventually listens to Claire. They decide to leave. So they get the baby. They are going to walk back out to the car in the woods, get it to start and drive away. They go to call Iggy. Iggy's not responding. Adam goes to Iggy and they find him eating something weird in like a shed out the back and when adam gets a look at iggy in the flashlight iggy has a red eye Uh, it looks like he's been kicked or beat
0: he's bleeding from his mouth yes
1: and of course we also see what he's eating is like another black bird carcass with that weird substance on it it's like old yeller where you like realize old yeller has rabies but this time it's like iggy and iggy (laughs) has been (laughs) infected with this like fungus what I think is interesting is that Adam doesn't process that. Like, he reacts as though column beat this dog up, forgetting that he found this ancient fungus. Yeah. Isn't that? Like, I thought that was kind of weird.
0: I'm not contesting that this is the best written movie in the world. (laughs) In fact, I wrote down, it feels like a high schooler paced this movie. (laughs) Because again, like I said earlier, there's 30 minutes of a little bit of lore building. And then starting with the lights turning out in the house, it kickstarts like a 50 minute action sequence. It's
1: insane. That
0: doesn't let up. and. I'm even scared to try to cover it because it's so much just running from here, running from there, running to this, running to that, running over here, running over there. And it's just kind of like, this movie isn't a perfect one. I think it's an interesting snapshot in the moment of time talking about ecological pursuits mixed with Irish folklore, mixed with the struggles of parenthood. But in terms of just like adequately building a world and a sense of urgency, I think it drops the ball in terms of building a level of tension where I'm actually like invested in what's happening to these characters because it seems like something's bad is happening every two minutes.
1: I feel like if it relied more on that sort of elevated horror standard of scaring audiences, I think it could have been a lot cooler because all of those things you mentioned are scary and together they're terrifying. So I think instead of focusing so much on these beings and this black goo as these kind of visual fears, I think elevating the story could have made it even more haunting.
0: Speaking of these beings, I'm kind of mad we saw them. (laughs) Because, so they...
1: Oh yeah, you said!
0: (laughs) Yes, so... We see them real soon, so... Adam grabs Iggy. They go and run to the car. Adam's trying to, again, start the car, even though there are still these viney tendrils in the engine. Claire's trying to start the car as Adam pulls them out. And Iggy, like, kind of looks to the forest and just kind of runs into the forest. Adam can't catch him. And then you hear him whimper. And we assume that Iggy is no longer. So sad. Iggy is stardust now. Adam continues pulling out the tendrils. And while this is happening, Claire is looking in the rearview mirror and we see some of these humanoid, creepy, crawly tree creatures crawling toward the car out from the forest in the nighttime. Adam isn't seeing this, but she is. So she goes to start the car prematurely and it ends up chewing up a part of Adam's hand. Mm -hmm. Like the palm of his hand gets really burnt. Even though it hurts Adam's hand, the car is able to start. So as they're driving out, you see these humanoid creatures shattering all the windows and jumping on the hood. There's so many of them. And they look
1: stupid. They do look stupid. Like if Elise is saying they're not scary. Listen to me. I was not at all scared
0: they looked like baby groots they did <laughs> like <laughs> they looked like baby groot <laughs> that like just skipped a bath like that's yeah that's what we're talking about when we're looking at these like weird humanoid tree creatures like yeah they're screaming and they they have this black sludge and whatever or
1: they and- reminded me of those like things from Harry Potter the like the plants. The plants that scream. Yeah. They were very much like that. Like they just weren't scary, I guess. And eventually we have Claire in the driver's seat. She gets them out into the field outside of the forest. They're driving. They're driving. And all of a sudden Claire almost hits this very human looking Groot. A young girl looking Groot, and she kind of swerves off into a ditch and they get out of the car and they run back to the house because, I mean, it's either that or try to brave through the woods on their own, which seems like a mistake. So they go back to the house to try to fortify it.
0: As they're fortifying the house, we're hearing banging on the door. Adam grabs his gun. He goes to look through the peephole, but he is stabbed through the peephole with a needle like incarnation of this black Goo. Something about the black goo, we said that it has like both like solid and liquid forms, but it can also move because it's kind of like a living substance so you can see that it can kind of pulsate and kind of go up and down so the goo i guess decided to become small enough to fit through the peephole so kind of like a needle size consistency and stab adam in the eye but kind of like what we saw with iggy it kind of looks like that's how it infects people is Mm it pokes people same with the horse and and the horse yeah it, it pokes people in the eye So Adam is stabbed and we know that it's with the goo because we see goo start dripping. And he
1: knows it was with the goo too, but he's not saying anything about it.
0: Right. Claire is kind of in the dark. She knows that there's a fungi, guy, but she is not putting two and two together that this fungi guy is what is all over everything. And
1: I do not love the relationship between Claire and Adam because it just is so stereotypical. I'm the man. I'm going to make all of the decisions and I'm not going to tell you a single thing about what's going on. And I think that it leaves Claire to figure a lot of things out on her own, which she is able to do a lot of very well. Like, I think she does definitely step it up. And there's for sure a certain moment, I think, that switch within her kind of switches. But at this point, we really aren't seeing a lot from Claire that m- makes her stand out as a heroine. No, I wrote down
0: Claire exists to hold Finn. Like, that's literally yes. like what it is, because she at this point is just carrying this doll because that. <sighs> <laughs> the, ba- the baby actor took a nap at some point because this is not a child that she's holding. She's holding just like something in a onesie that doesn't look very realistic. While he's stabbed in the eye, there's still this banging and this humanoid Groot on the step. So Adam grabs a flashlight and goes out to see who it is because I still believe that he believes that Column is like the person who is at the door. probably. But he shines this flashlight into this humanoid Groot looking thing's face and it cowers and runs away. So we get the knowledge that these things do not like light
1: hmm. Adam hatches a plan, of course, only Adam. <laughs> so he has Claire and Finn hide in the attic while he goes down to the basement to try to get the backup generator to work.
0: Right. So Claire goes into the attic and she assumes this is a safe space. But as we saw earlier in the movie, we have some of this black goo
1: present in the attic Mm -hmm. already. And I guess that just indicates to us that some of the hallow have been there before. Like, it seems like hallow folk track this goo around wherever they go, like a puppy would track mud through the house. (laughs) And this attic entrance is kind of like a a hatch. Yes. Kind of like... Oh, and my God. Better Watch Out. Oh, yes, Better Watch Out. I was also thinking host. host yes. So scary.
0: Yes, hatch, <laughs> hatch addicts aren't fun, but they have one. And Claire is shining a flashlight on the hatch door so that nothing can come up through. But what we are finding is that if it's dark, these things can like breed And since a flashlight isn't that much light, this goo starts coming through the hatch door and it mm-hmm. kind of morphs into a hand yes that is reaching toward claire's face but claire has to keep her body weight on the hatch door so that it doesn't open Mm and like an entire wave, (laughs) entire Groot, or an entire wave comes up so you get this scare where adam starts becoming incapacitated because of his eye injury he's trying to do this generator but you can tell that it has some like early 2000s flash edits where he's trying to turn the generator on and then it flashes to the microscope scenes where like you can tell like the cells are being taken over and he's grabbing on his face and you could tell he's kind of being possessed for lack of a better term Mm -hmm. and that's being intercut with this hand reaching into Claire's face and a little needle poking Mm -hmm. out from one of the fingers going into her eye and just as it's about to do that Adam gets the generator back on and all the lights in the house go back on and then the black goo dissipates because because it doesn't like light.
1: That's when Adam and Claire have enough time to try to fortify the house because they need to stay where the lights are. So they get the irons. Adam realizes that he can't touch the irons. He has an experience in the basement where he, you know, he can't touch that anymore because he's been affected infected rather and i guess we can assume that he's starting to undergo a change where is he becoming a groot (laughs) no i have to stop saying groot it's just fun to say it's just Is is he becoming this so he has claire do it kind of playing sick because of his wrapped hand from the car injury and he hammers while she holds the irons and they're able to fortify the house a little bit and they hatch a plan Because the generator will eventually die. They're going to keep Finn in this closet and sort of keep watch by the door. So if the hallow get in the house, they won't have easy access to him.
0: This brings us back to what the hardware store guy was saying, where if you don't put the irons on the windows, it's not going to matter anyway. So we can assume that the changelings or the forest people, the Groots, whatever you want to call them, they cannot enter if there is iron and they cannot enter when it is light outside. So we kind of have these little rules of operation that are happening We have this scene with Adam in the bathroom where he's wrapping his hand up. His hand is full of black goo at this point because, remember, he burnt it on the engine and that had the black goo all over it. And his eyes are kind of glazing over. Mm-hmm. So he can tell that he is being taken over, but he is being the worst member in an apocalypse group because the idea is if you're bitten or you're infected, you tell other people. But mm. he, again,
1: he is not telling Claire no. about anything. But then again, she's not questioning it either. She, you're right. She's not. She's not. She really trusts him. Which, you know, it's good that if you're married to somebody, you trust them. But she almost, I think, trusts him more than she trusts herself at times. For example, with baby in the closet, you know, that is Adam's idea. She doesn't want to do that. She wants to keep the baby with her. And shortly after baby's in the closet, the power goes out again. We have a situation where we realize Finn is taken.
0: Right. I wrote, baby Groot takes baby Finn.
1: Yeah, it was actually kind of a cute baby Groot. That yeah. one was the cutest one. It
0: was. It was a little little baby, a little baby child, a little baby change We line. were joking
1: around, like, the hallow. were like, you got to go in there, dude, because it's you got to go down the small wall and, like, break through and get the baby. Yeah,
0: <laughs> what ends up happening is, like, Finn is put in, like, a linen closet and there's irons placed in front of the linen closet. So, assumedly... You can't get in the front of it, but what the baby Groot ended up doing is going in through the walls and tearing a hole through the back of the closet and taking Finn through the back of the closet.
1: And right before this happens, while Adam and Claire are sort of sitting in wait for whatever is to come, Adam is paging through that book that Colm has left, and we actually see pictures that look like the house that they're in, as if this has happened before with this very same house and we see the image of a baby with the word changeling above it. So this is where we're introduced to that word changeling. And Adam reads about how these fairies often target children and switch these children. That is something that he reads about right when he sees his son being snatched
0: this is also where we start to doubt Adam's allegiance a little bit because Claire gets some mommy instincts that something's not right right Mm -hmm. before the power goes out and she wants to go check on Finn and Adam's pretty stern like no like you can't move those irons otherwise you're getting him into more trouble however while he's flipping through the book she like disobeys him and goes and looks for Finn anyway and that's when she discovers that he had been taken so we are wondering what side is Adam on at this point
1: and I had mentioned to I had been briefly acquainted with the changeling lore because I watched the show Outlander (laughs) and there is a scene where actually another Claire in Outlander, there's a scene where she comes across a baby in the woods and it turns out that this Scottish family believes in the changeling lore, et cetera, et cetera. And from what I understood, a lot of times if parents left their babies to be taken by the fairies, they might leave the babies, you know, in tree nooks or things like that off of the ground, right? Of course, a little bit elevated so they could be found. And I was thinking like this linen closet almost kind of seems to me like the closest thing in a house to a hollowed out tree. It's like a short, hollow, dark, wooden column (laughs) that this baby is in. So it almost seemed like for a moment was Adam doing this on purpose. So yeah, I agree. I was starting to distrust Adam at this point. But this is when Claire steps up her game because she doesn't think for a second. As soon as she sees Finn being taken, she jumps into action. So she runs after this baby.
0: Well, because they try to go into the attic because they think that they have to exit through the attic because they're in the walls and Adam gets clawed in the face and he falls and gets knocked out. So he's incapacitated again. But yes.
1: <laughs> so Claire chases this baby all the way down to some small pond and she almost loses him a couple times. But we keep seeing this yellow blanket being kind of like dragged over these hills and she's able to follow it. She follows it. Eventually she gets to a clearing. She sees something floating in the water. She rushes out to the water. She sees. The baby. She finally gets back to the house after this wild chase scene within an action scene, and the dad has just woken up. He's just coming to. She hands Adam the baby to, to try to help get him warm. I mean, she has just retrieved him from the water, but Adam starts talking weird shit.
0: Yeah, he is looking at the baby's face and trying to see Finn, but the face keeps warping into kind of one of those Groot faces. Yeah. And (laughs) the mom is distracted because she's trying to get warm clothes on because she just went, you know, marsh diving in the middle of the evening. And Adam starts showing his possession a little bit. He's like, it's a changeling. It's not Finn. They're trying to trick us. And Claire's like, what do you, what do you mean? But... Adam takes Finn or the baby. We don't know. We don't know whether Finn is Finn or Finn is not Finn. There's some hints as to like which one that it is, but we're not meant to know for sure. So Adam goes to place Finn on a table and takes out a knife and Claire tries to stop him, but he like with superhuman strength kind of like launches her across the room and she becomes incapacitated. Mm -hmm. And, he is, like, holding this knife above this baby and is, like, looking at its face, and one second it's Finn, one second it's not, and he's trying to come to grips with everything, and just as he's about to stab Finn, Claire stabs Adam in the neck? Or yeah, she
1: stabs him in, in a non-fatal
0: place. neck. I was like, so the neck, a non-fatal place. <laughs> I
1: honestly can't remember. I don't think she stabs him in the neck. I think she might stab him in the side. I don't know. Either way. I don't know. I feel like every stab is fatal. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Except in a horror movie, you can get stabbed upwards of 10 times and still fucking make it. Even more. Either way. (laughs) Yeah, it stabs Adam with iron, so obviously this hurts him very Um, much because he is being taken over, and Claire is able to grab Finn and rush out to the shed where she hides out, but Adam is in very close pursuit behind
1: her. Yes. I wrote, right now, all is confusing. I think this is when I was like, what time is it? Like, I had a hard time understanding that this was all one night. Like all of this has been happening in one night. When Shay said it was like a 50 minute action scene, like, she really meant it because I remember we kept saying, "How much time is left in this movie? What else could possibly happen?" <laughs> uh, because it's a lot. It's a lot. So Claire has baby in the field, right? No, Claire has baby in the shed.
0: Oh, and Adam comes in and he's under this like. Oh, she's not in the field yet. <laughs> she's not in the field. Yet. Oh my god, I know. Like, like literally, like we understand she was in the field, and she was home. Then. If you're then not following us, yeah. <laughs> If you're not following us, we're not following us. No, we're not. (laughs) Essentially, there's another quick confrontation between Adam and Claire, where Adam is just kind of showing that he truly doesn't believe that that is his son. But Claire is able to outwit him again. And she begins running in the field where Adam kind of goes full on hunter mode and lights a scythe on fire. Also, his appearance is changing. He is now growing like weird little blacks slug mushrooms from his shoulders <laughs> and out of his eyes so he is becoming one with the forest a yes, little bit, yes he is he's becoming a groot he goes into the forest looking for them because he believes that they ran into the forest where instead claire runs to column's house
1: yes Claire gets to Colum's house. She knocks on the door. He opens the door with a shotgun. He says, get off my lawn. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but kind of. But yeah, he basically says that. He's like, I told you before you didn't believe me. Now it's too late. Get away from here before you draw them to my house. And so she does. She leaves and she's kind of back isolated in the woods. And we don't see Colum after that. But meanwhile, Adam, in pursuit of Claire and the baby, changeling or not, we're not sure yet, he comes across a stone house and goes inside and we see him notice iggy it looks like iggy is covered in like black it looks like he's dead but then he kind of like sits up and we see that he is also covered in like weird mushroom growth so the dog is alive but he's not it's like that tiktok sound i'm alive but i'm dead (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but then he runs away from iggy he gets into the room he sees that girl groot that previously drove claire and adam off the road turn around nice and slow and she is holding a baby in a yellow blanket and we are led to believe that that is baby finn
0: Right. Because she is holding the baby and you could tell he just looks a little more lively. And then she opens her other hand and you see the pacifier that Finn dropped Ugh. on that very first day in the forest. That so was that, creepy. yes. So that is the proof that Adam needs. And this is where I also wrote down, what are the roles? Because these other Groot humanoids aren't accepting Adam as one of them, even though he's clearly like,
1: but he's not one of them yet. yet.
0: Like he's clearly like in the process. But that's the thing. Adam is holding this scythe of fire and that he's using that to kind of keep distance between him and these other things trying to attack him. But like, the fire is close to him and we've seen that light has hurt Adam at this point mm. because when they were in the shed, Claire essentially shone a flashlight in his face mm. and that's what allowed her to escape him. So I'm like, what are the rules? Because he can carry around a scythe full of fire and not be like annoyed that it's that close to him, yeah. but he's like barely like putting it out and it's keeping him within a six foot radius of anything else. I'm that's like,
1: very interesting. Is it like a
0: degrees of, it doesn't matter.
1: We see this happen where Adam realizes that the real, what we are led to believe is the real Finn was in the possession of the changelings, and he is able to get that baby. But then he eventually does come across Claire again, and she has the other baby.
0: Yes, so Elise said, baby face-off.
1: Yes, baby face-off. And I did, just for the record, I saw it coming. Baby face off. And we saw we were seeing like a figurative baby face off many times in this movie before we actually had a literal baby face off. Right. We had some parenting disagreements before we had two babies to deal with. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. They are face to face. And Adam is trying to convince Claire to take the baby that he has in his arms like Claire. This is Finn. That is a changeling. I have the real Finn. And Adam says They want Finn for their family. So again, that kind of goes into those motivations that you talked a little bit about earlier, where they just want the love of a human.
1: And he's a beautiful baby. He is
0: a beautiful baby. But then I'm also thinking about that third motivation that you talked about, where... It's for revenge or retribution purposes, and the idea that Adam is presenting a threat to their ecosystem in terms of the extermination of their home and where they dwell. You know, they're just taking a preemptive strike by taking Finn, almost.
1: Right, so it seems like two in one, like two motivations in one claire
0: ends up listening to adam she She does she puts down the doll that she's been carrying around this entire time yeah
1: this version of finn coos a lot less which kind of gives an indication that he was probably the changeling
0: yeah and he's blue and it's just yeah not quite right and -hmm. that's the thing i didn't know whether her carrying this baby around like it was lifeless was a design choice or a not overworking the baby actor choice. I was like, that looks like shit. But then I'm like, well, maybe it's supposed to look like shit for a
1: reason. <laughs> yeah, so Claire takes the baby. She runs out of the woods. Adam is able to fend off the rest of the... Well- he fends them off long enough for Claire to get the right baby and run out of the woods. And then he is stabbed through the back, like, through the gut and killed. And he beheads Korra. Oh, yes.
0: Groot Korra. Like, he beheads her oh, in the process with the scythe. So that's pretty rad and gnarly.
1: Yeah, that, that part is pretty interesting. I think, like, Groot Korra is interesting, I don't think Groot Cora was used for the potential she could have been used, but I don't think anything in this movie was like used for the potential could exactly. Have been used. like I think that there was there's so much about this that could have been awesome, but it was just kind of like, okay so the sun is finally rising y'all i mean this has been the longest night and we see the changeling baby left behind start to shrivel up and explode there's like an interesting cgi moment where the baby's face kind of blooms like a flower but like a dead bony flower it
0: doesn't look very good but no. it's an interesting visual it is
1: interesting definitely thought-provoking and then mom and baby make it out of the woods without Adam. Oh, and then Claire kind of lets out this weird laugh, which I also think is interesting. She doesn't seem too, I mean, of course, everyone grieves differently, and we only saw her for like two seconds after her husband was dead, but she doesn't really seem too heartbroken about Adam.
0: Well, and I don't know whether this was a character choice or this was just how the actress chose to go about it, but I even wrote down earlier, I'm like, Claire doesn't emote very much. No. Like, this entire time, you would expect, like, a mother who lost her baby to the wood to be almost hysterical. And, like, there's almost two ways that you could go. You could be hysterical, weepy, oh, my God, where's my baby? Or you could be, like, vengeful, angry, I'm getting my fucking baby back. And she does neither of those things. And that's not to say that there aren't other pathways, but, like, Even when she's like looking at her husband who is being taken over by this infectious fungi and is like coming at her and trying to convince her that her baby isn't her baby. She's emoting mild annoyance at best. Like, she's not
1: terrified. She's not scared, really. In in such a strange situation. And also, I kind of hate that her character, like you kind of mentioned, only exists to hold the baby and be a mother, and she still gets it wrong.
0: Exactly. Like, I wrote down, two parents went into the woods to retrieve their kid, but the dad got it right.
1: And that would be different if the mother served any other purpose in this movie other than holding that baby.
0: And they set it up for almost such like a more empowering way, especially in the beginning when she's taking these iron bars off the windows. I agree. But it almost serves that like she was the one putting her baby in danger because she's the one who brought the changeling back. Like she doesn't know her own kid. Exactly. But because Adam spent so much time in the woods with Finn, like he's the authority of that space and he knows best.
1: And I guess Adam also read enough of that book to have read about what a changeling was. I didn't get the impression that Claire had read the book. Maybe she paged through it, but I think it kind of freaked her out. So maybe since he saw that information, he was more aware of that possibility or maybe because he was infected by nature itself, he had the knowledge of mother nature herself. Like he had the maternal instincts within him because of his infection by mother nature.
0: (laughs) But he was able to retain enough humanity to use the last of his fatherliness to release Finn because that's the thing. Mother Nature, in this sense or in the Hollows' sense, is possessive. Like yes. she wants Finn, she wants Adam, mm-hmm. she wants to infect and to spread and to maintain dominance over the area. So, yeah, I think it makes sense if we look at it like that, where Adams has that intuition to know what it is, is his son,
1: Mm -hmm. but also
0: is still able to differentiate what his instincts of this fungi are telling him Mm -hmm. versus what he needs to do to protect his son.
1: Mm -hmm. And again, I wonder if he was more communicative about his experiences as they were happening, would Claire have brought the changeling back in the first place? I don't know.
0: And I hate to... That the book wasn't valid until Adam said it was valid because Mm. Colm dropped the book off and Claire read the book. And Claire was like, look, Colm dropped this off. I'm a little worried. Like, I want to leave. I want to leave. And while Adam... So she
1: did read the book. I think she did read the book. And... Like, enough to be like, this is scary.
0: Like, exactly. So that's where it's like, all of a sudden, the book's teachings don't become relevant until Adam says it is. Mm, Yeah. And... And it's interesting too because the movie ends with the pages of the book flipping to a new page, and it's like a family portrait of a Groot daddy, know, changeling daddy, a human mommy, and a human baby. So that which like, is like
1: one I appreciate the moment where you are like, oh shit, like this has happened before. Like that's a cool moment. But I had a hard time kind of understanding what that meant.
0: I almost see it as, like, the living history of the hallow. Like, it Mm -hmm. wasn't even that it happened before. Like, that was a new chapter based on the happenings. Because, like you were saying, the house had existed before the pages of the book. So part of me thinks that it's a continuous living history. Mm -hmm. And, like, this is the new
1: iteration. It was, like, a new
0: page being written with their experience
1: like some sort of strange connection between man and nature coexisting
0: yeah. that it, it's almost like these are the consequences of trespassing mm-hmm. into the hallow right. and like this is the most recent iteration of that because my question too was why does column own the book like is this the book or is this a book and if it's the book he might have it because the last iteration was cora
1: yes that is a very good point. I think that that makes the most sense. Like it was given to him because of what happened with Cora, and it had been passed down, passed down. And I guess what we are led to understand, which I think is interesting, is that. We're given folklore here, we're given supernatural events here, but we're also given a sort of biological explanation to the existence of these quote-unquote fairies in the woods, that these fairies aren't their own species, but they were former humans, all of whom were former humans infected with a certain fungus who were then forced to live on the outskirts in the forest, so... That I thought was interesting as well, the sort of like biological lens.
0: Well, that's like an area of horror I like a lot. And I want to talk a little bit about that, too. Ooh. And there's a post credit scene that I want to mention because it's Construction workers kind of following up on Adam's work. So obviously Adam like dies in the movie, but you see construction workers chopping trees down and loading them up onto trucks and it kind of zooms in on the timber in between and you start to see like the black goo is seeping. Because my immediate reaction was, oh no, okay, the forest is being torn down. It's done. Like, they have no place to dwell. They have no domain. But in the timber, there is still, like, that essence of what the hallow is. And it's going to be spread to wherever Mm -hmm. it is it's going to go. This movie reminded me a lot of a movie called The Ruins, which came out in, like, I believe, like, 2008 or 2009. And that is like I would say like my favorite environmental horror movie, and I would consider this an environmental horror movie. So I did some like digging into eco horror, which is a subgenre of horror because okay. we all know that horror isn't just slashers. Like there's obviously like a lot of subgenres and a lot of different little mediums and different little. Oh, glasses
1: are on again. Glasses you guys. are on again. I had to, I
0: had to pause. So I got this from an essay called For Some Horror Writers, Nothing is Scarier Than A Changing Planet by Naomi Booth. And there's a couple of ways that she kind of introduces what eco-horror is. So I want to go over that. So she writes, Horror has always sought to amplify fear. It works against false comfort, complacency, and euphemism against attempts to repress or sanitize that which disturbs us. Inevitably, the climate crisis has given rise to a burgeoning horror subgenre, eco-horror. Eco-horror reworks horror in order to portray the damage done to the world by people and the ways the world might damage or even destroy us in return. In eco-horror, the natural world is both under threat and threatening. So obviously we're seeing, like, Mother Nature's biting back in this movie, like... Adam's coming in to essentially aid in the deforestation of what even the natives are calling like sacred land. They are afraid of the hallow, but they are still very protective of it because of this really rich history that Ireland has with its trees and forestation and all of these types of things. Elise had said earlier that we are personifying Mother Nature as almost a character in this movie because we really see her defending her territory because you have Adam who is a masculine figure or representing a masculine energy going into a feminine energy's domain trying to monetize off of her assets Mm. and essentially like take what she is and distribute it for his own capital. So obviously that's reading a lot into it, but I want to talk a little bit more about eco-horror too, because eco-horror has a lot of ties to pregnancy and motherhood. Mm. So she continues to write about it. At its most effective, eco-horror compels us not to look away. It attempts to close the distance between the reader and the sufferers of environmental disaster And when it really gets under the skin, eco-horror makes you feel the inescapable reality of climate catastrophe inside your body through panic, nausea, and fear. In eco-horror, we witness acts of environmental violence currently hidden from sight. We might see who suffers most and who gains by that suffering. Eco-horror deepens my deepest fears of sickness, contamination, isolation, and violence, that I might harm my child by my own hand, that I've already done so, sealing her into a dying world, a world I helped to poison
1: oh my god like
0: this movie didn't address pregnancy outright but it addressed claire and adam were bringing their baby into a situation that was inherently dangerous and they were making it more dangerous by trespassing into these forests that Mm -hmm. they were warned that you're not to touch these we don't like this this is a part of our history like you would think even column would want to see this forest be torn down it took his daughter Mm -hmm. but it has such spiritual significance and it has such historical significance that he understands the way to maintain safety is to let mother nature do her thing and Mm -hmm. to not tread on her Mm -hmm. and that's what a lot of this eco horror is kind of talking about where it's You know, identifying who suffers most and who gains by that suffering. Adam would gain by Mother Nature's suffering, but it flips the script where Mother Nature is gaining by Adam's suffering.
1: I think that like kind of in this vein, thinking of eco horror and films that exemplify the power of nature, I think that they are so terrifying because nature itself is so vast and sublime and hard to even comprehend with what we know now. I think it makes horror portrayals of nature easier To believe, like for example, and I know that this movie isn't necessarily a horror film, it's more like a thriller. But like the day after tomorrow, when Mm -hmm. we see like the beginning of the second ice age, it's like terrifying because I mean, we've never seen anything like it, but we know nature is capable of so much in the back of our minds. It's like, well, why couldn't this happen?
0: Look at Texas right now, exactly. Yes, well, this is coming out maybe a little after the fact. We're recording this a little early, a little early in the midst of. Texas being like frozen solid and Mm -hmm. them not knowing how to fucking deal with everything that's going on. But there's a lot
1: of articles out that are saying, you know, blaming what's happening in Texas on the wind is ridiculous because there is danger in ignoring what we know nature to be capable of doing Mm -hmm. and not blaming Texas. It's usually hot as balls down there. Like, I know that this is really unusual for them to have snow, but it's important to follow the examples that nature has already set for us so we don't make incorrect assumptions like Adam did. (laughs) In the hollow. And we can wrap this up in this little folklore story about fairies and whatnot. I think it makes it easier to digest and easier to sort of remove ourselves from. But at the end of the day, I think your explanation of eco horror nails it down in this really eerily realistic place.
0: It is because it's able to tie like the rich history of Ireland and obviously its folklore to... To the very real realities of climate change, to the speaking to its history of deforestation and its efforts to really like gain back its natural and renewable resources. I mean, obviously, when we watched this, I don't think we thought it was going to take a turn toward environmental justice, but if that's what it's doing, then that's great. Mm-hmm. And, We know Mother Nature to be a powerful feminine energy. Mm -hmm. So even though Claire was kind of a disappointing character, just in terms of her one tone characterization, the most powerful and the most vengeful is Mother Nature. And Mm -hmm. she won you know yeah she got what she wanted almost i mean she didn't get finn but even though at the end there's some inevitability that she's not able to maintain her dominion or her space that she's going to kind of continue her reign of terror to whoever spites her
1: there will be other babies there will be other babies, and there will be more black sludge in and more places. And there will be more podcast episodes, guys. There will be. <laughs> Do you have any closing thoughts before we kind of get into our closing sentiments? This movie wasn't one of my
0: favorites, but next week we are looking at a cult classic movie that takes place in the woods. <laughs>
1: The Blair Witch Project. I'm really excited. My dad says that this is one of the scariest movies he's ever seen. Yeah. I don't know anything about it other than his opinion. We got some found footage.
0: We have a viral marketing strategy that's super cool and interesting. Either way, we hope that you enjoyed this unconventional St. Patrick's Day episode where we just focused on all of the green, you know, the green hot sauce, the greenery
1: of our forests. The green of Ireland. Indeed. (laughs) Okay. Well, thanks for listening, y'all. As always, make sure to follow us on Instagram at the horrors podcast and feel free to email us with any suggestions for episodes, any personal stories or experiences with our films or Ireland or whatever with hot sauce. Yeah, like if you want to send us more hot sauce. Cool. You can reach us at the horrors podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And until next time, we're the horrors. Bye. Bye. Bye.